Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by Softcat. This is a show for IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird, and over the next 20 or so minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different area of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. This week, we're going to try and tackle the General Data Protection Regulation, also known as GDPR, a regulation which came into force on the 25th of May 2018. We're going to try and explain what it is, probably more importantly, what it isn't, and what organizations should or shouldn't be doing to comply. So to help us wade through GDPR is KTFD, SoftCat's Data Management Business Manager, Mark Overton, who is SoftCat's Information Security Officer, and Graham Charlton, who's SoftCat's CFO. So, Mark, I'm sure this is probably one of the most Googled questions in the world right now, but what actually is GDPR and how does it differ from data protection? GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation, and it's the new standard for data privacy across the EU. Uh, It's been brought in to standardise data protection across all of the European states and also to address changes in data privacy that have uh, been brought about by the use of new technologies and um, the modern world in which people share data so freely through technologies like social networks. Um, so what are, the, what are the key components of GDPR? Well, one of the biggest changes from the Data Protection Act or, or previous data protection legislation uh, is going to be the fines. Um, it's the, the 4% of global turnover or the 20 million euros that has really grabbed headlines and forced this onto the uh, the agenda for pretty much every organisation. Previously, the uh, data protection legislation was always focused on the controller. So that's the company who would consider themselves the um, the owner of the data and who would decide on how to use that data. Uh, the GDPR means that um, enforcement action can now be taken against processes, which are the companies who are organizations who controllers might share data with to undertake certain tasks, uh, such as an online email archive being an obvious example in our industry. Uh, now, sorry to bring up Brexit, but do UK-based organisations still need to worry about it once we leave the EU? So we're currently in the process of uh, enacting the Data Protection Bill in the UK. That's passing through Parliament. Uh, there doesn't look like there'll be any sign in that changing. And that bill is based upon the GDPR. Uh, so, yes, th- that's not going to stop its passage through Parliament uh, due to Brexit. And it's going to be really important to allow us to continue working in partnership with EU organisations. They'll want to see equivalent data protection law in our country, too. And so do you think the onus is on the organisation or on the, the people? Is, is, this, is this the regulation towards kind of helping the individuals or providing more support for organisations? Absolutely. So the regulation is focused on data subjects. It's focused on individuals. But where it's created the workload is inside inside companies and organisations who are responsible for, for managing the data of those individuals who, who hold the data of those individuals. This is a, a change in regulation designed to improve how companies look after individuals' data. The benefit will be for people, is what we hope. It's long overdue as well, right? So it was last updated in the UK in 1995, data protection laws. I think that's right. So the internet was barely around when it was last done. Uh, and, and the question is whether other countries are going to follow suit now as well, because I think in the US, data protection laws are still woefully inadequate by comparison to GDPR. So uh, it, it was time it happened. Um, and I guess for consumers, it's a day to be very pleased about it because they had very little protection until now and still do in a lot of countries. Um, I, I was keen to ask uh, those doing the podcast with me what they um, 
what they perceive by privacy what does that mean to to you to me it means that if i'm interacting with a company and therefore giving it my data in some way that that data will only be used for the purposes that i'm kind of giving tacit consent so if i'm if i'm giving my address to amazon because i want them to deliver something to me that is the only thing they'll use it for um so to me privacy is yeah it's along those lines katie i'm almost thinking here is more of like a core right you know you have a right to a fair trial you have a right to privacy yeah it's a human right isn't it yeah exactly it's a human human right right. a basic human right information only accessed by people I want to access by. Yeah, and that's you know that's really close to what people who talk about this um, they say they say it's your right to control who you share information with. You know, it's your right to choose what you're going to share with people. And I think I think that for, for me at least that looks like companies not being quite so creepy with my data because I think that's the big thing. You know, as as technology and as um, everything has kind of moved on in the last maybe five years or so. Actually, the way that my data is being used is just increasingly more creepy, i.e., you know, adverts follow me around the internet that are targeted on things that I looked on on different websites. So clearly my data, my personal data is being used in a way that I've not explicitly said I wanted to use it in, but it's just, it's just happened because that's just how the, the, the world has moved on. So I'm kind of looking forward to it's just stuff being a bit less creepy, to be honest. But, but this is the point, isn't it? So Michael said he hopes the world gets less creepy in terms of how it follows his movements and so on. And and as far as I can see, GDPR should bring that about because it's absolutely saying that companies cannot just share data that they have been given by individuals with other companies unless they've got explicit consent to do that. So there's a concept of privacy by design within GDPR. What exactly does that mean? You don't get privacy by accident. You've got to working out what you what you are allowed to do with data then design systems that create privacy so that you are actively building the maintenance of privacy into the way you do business rather than kind of working out what you want to do and doing your business and then somehow shoehorning privacy into it's like a mobile first strategy but for privacy sort of thing yeah, we've seen a lot of companies struggling with this with information security, that a company kicks off a project, gets it, you know, almost to the stage of completion and then involves the information security team who uh, who clearly should have been brought in at the beginning. It's exactly the same for data protection. Now, you need to bring those teams in early on, discuss what your aim is, what the desired outcome of the project is, and ensure that that isn't going to infringe on data protection law. So we talked about individuals. What about organisations? What's What's been the effect on organisations? I think it's put um, information security and privacy on board agendas when it wasn't before. So you'd get the odd thing in the news about there's been a data breach here. The weight of those incidents, but then GDPR together, I think, has made the corporate world and, and leadership in the corporate world take notice in a way that they hadn't done before. The, the the consequences of getting this stuff wrong just went up a couple of levels in the last few years. So, and again, I think that is a good thing because the internet has slowly crept up on us. What companies are doing with data via the internet has slowly crept up on us. And there does need to be a pause and a reality check now. So I think boards are looking at it in a way they never have done before. That creates questions that flow down the chain and companies have then got to really interrogate their systems and processes and make sure that they are doing things with data that 
you know, kind of survive the common sense test. So, Graham, if I can translate that to Softcat, and, and I suppose to you personally as well, how has that? How has the perception of of data protection and GDPR changed since you've been at Softcat, or, or since you've kind of been on a uh, board? How how has that changed? Up until probably about eighteen months ago, I don't think I'd been in a board meeting or a exec leadership team meeting, whether at Softcat or elsewhere, where data security was discussed in any detail. And Mark, now as our data protection manager, has been into couple of board meetings now in the last nine months it's definitely moved the needle and i think it won't just be happening here my old company actually um, which was an online marketplace company we had a few debates probably four or five years ago when i was there about you know levels of consent that we'd use for customers going through the website and we were sort of almost using opt-in consent as a way to differentiate we were kind of ahead of the curve and felt quite good about that and of course now if you don't do that then you're you're simply non-compliant uh, so, Casey, what's stopping an organisation just doing nothing? It's mainly the fines is the most off-putting element of GDPR. So under the current data protection laws, the fines are a lot smaller and the fines with GDPR are going to be proportionately dissuasive depending on the size of your company and the nature of your business. So, so what, they're going to be big for you, <laughs> basically. So, so what are the fines then? The upper limit is 4% of your group annual turnover or 20 million euros, whichever's higher out the two. So if you're a little organisation with a one million pound turnover, you could potentially get fined 20 million. Yeah, on paper. <laughs> yeah. It's another one where it's really good to go and read the ICO website about this stuff. They have uh, numerous times that they're not looking to put companies out of business using this regulation, which it does feel like many companies are afraid of. Um, but yeah, I think the fines will be proportional. I think that's, that's absolutely correct. But it can and will put companies out of business. So if you think in the reseller industry that Softcat operates in, the average net profit margin is less than 4%. So if you got hit with a maximum fine, that is your whole year's profit gone in one fell swoop. And that's if you're making a profit. A lot of businesses, of course, don't make a loss. And adding 4% loss to um, a loss that's already there would be pretty ca- cataclysmic for a lot of businesses. The combination of the financial and reputational damage that a serious GDPR breach could create is genuinely business ending which is why i think it's got the attention of of boards because you can't create a risk register now that doesn't recognize the risk of gdpr i think as well gdpr's kind of already raised awareness of individuals rights across people who would never have had any experience of data protection laws or any awareness of what they're entitled to so you'd get someone like my mum who knows what gdpr is and will know now as a consumer what her rights are and have higher levels of expectations of organizations that she works with than she would have done in the past so for us we're huge on customer experience on on building trust with our customers there's a level of expectation within all of our customers for us to to comply with the the new laws yeah, I mean, the reputation damage absolutely is, is going to be a huge impactful thing for organisations that trade on um, a quality of service like ourselves. Uh, the other one we've seen a lot of is uh, supply chain diligence that um, companies expect anyone who they're working with on their supply chain to take this stuff seriously. Uh, and we see many um, companies, especially in the public sector, that will absolutely refuse to do business with companies who have had breaches or, or cases brought against them by the ICO. Yeah, and the thing I can't get my head around yet, which I think will be very interesting to see how this plays out, is when companies, big internet companies from outside of the EU, um, who have to comply with the GDPR when operating in the EU, 
have breach breach the regulation somehow how does the local country enforcement agency then bring the weight of the law to bear on maybe a u.s massive u.s internet company how does that how does that work through in practice i don't think anybody probably has an answer to that yet yeah, it's interesting because we, we focused a lot on the fines, but there are other actions the uh, supervisory authorities can take, such as not permitting organisations to process personal data so they could try and restrict their operations inside the EU. So that could that could cut a social network off if, for example, that's, you know, that's an organisation that had a breach of some sort or had a, a breach of the regulations. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be so interesting to see how this plays out because how do you cut a social network off? I mean, that, that when they cut off WhatsApp in Brazil, the country essentially you know, rioted, exaggerating somewhat, but there was, a, you know, there was a, the citizens made their voice heard very, very quickly. So what are the basic things that every organisation needs to do if they haven't already done so? You've got to start with ensuring there's someone in your organisation who's responsible for data protection uh, and that they have the time and the support of business to do that role properly. And what does that role entail then, day to day? Because that's what you do, isn't it? Uh, it is yep one of the things i do um with the support of others around me in the company and i think that's going to be critical because we see people uh, in legal teams being put in charge of data protection in security teams and sometimes in hr um the fact of the matter is that an effective data protection program for most companies is going to need the support of people from all those roles what does it entail well i think for most people when they're starting off with this they need to go and understand how their company uses data what data they use um you know where they collect it from where they store it what it's used for um and how they take appropriate safeguards in place to secure it uh i think i mean that's actually great it's an interesting one what was um What's your experience of companies when it comes to collecting and storing data? Because it's been very easy, thanks to the, the cheapness of technology in recent years, to collect and store hordes of data. You might not have actually had a purpose for it at the time, but have you seen businesses collecting data on the basis that they think they may have a use for it in the future? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I remember seeing an article a couple of years ago in The Economist which talked about data as the new oil. So it simply was a valuable commodity and the more of it you could grab, the better. And, and I've certainly worked in companies where we had that that ethos, which was, I might not know what I'm going to do with it today, but as long as I can grab it and store it, I'll work out how to use it in the future. And of course, that's just been blown out of the water, that, that sort of approach, which again, as a consumer, I think is a great thing. Yeah, and certainly one of the challenges which I saw um, in the early days of, of trying to get a handle on what this meant to Softcat is that people in roles where they're responsible for data are very protective over that data. You know, they've been working to build up that um, that data and manage it. Uh, and when you start questioning them about whether they need it all, when's a sensible time to start getting rid of it, um, you will certainly encounter some people who aren't happy with that line of conversation. And so that's about understanding the data that you have and how long you need to hold on to it for. Yeah, the people in the company who are and responsible for that data, because though you know in a role in data protection, you're, you're taking responsibility for the data, you're unlikely to be the person looking after the systems and the databases that it's stored in. Okay, so the first two ones are ensure there's someone responsible for data protection. Number two was understand your data. So what's, what's next on the list? Well, once you've got a good feel for that, you can then start to build an action plan. And at this point, you're going to need to understand the GDPR. I'd absolutely recommend sending people on training courses from organisations like the IAPP to get a firm grasp on it and ensure that they're comfortable. Um, but yes, you're going to be looking to understand about what your company does with data and whether there are any uh, conflicts with the regulation. And then once you've done that? 
Well, you'll be looking to, to work out what your project looks like. Every company is going to be building their own GDPR projects. And um, uh, and I guess, again, at that point, you're going to be needing to engage with all sorts of stakeholders across the business to ensure you have their support. Trying to do this stuff in isolation uh, is never going to work. Um, you know, you're going to have to work with all sorts of departments to um, to succeed with those projects. OK, well, yep. what's next on the list then? Uh, so the security is always going to be a key thing, and that's going to wrap into your action plan. Um, hopefully, your company will already have an effective security program in place that uh, you know, understands the data that the company has and, and understands how it protects the data, uh, not just um, worrying about things like malware or the latest threats which are being posted on you know the news, uh, but actually the company's assets very often these days that is the company's data uh, and how have they put appropriate security controls in place um, and this is another lovely grey area of the GDPR the security needs to be appropriate to the risk of the data um, but you're not going to get much more than that out of the regulation um, so it's, it can be a tough one to know what you're aiming for okay so if you you've, uh, understand how you're going to secure your data what do you do next well, throughout this whole process, you should be documenting everything that's going on here. Building that paper trail is incredibly important. Uh, I've heard it said a number of times and repeated it myself. Right now, again, with these grey areas, it's not necessarily about having every answer 100% right. It's about ensuring that you've, um, you know, you've reasoned how you've got to those answers and you can show a fair justification. So by building that documentation, should you ever need it, you can show that you did take this stuff seriously and you can show the actions you took. Uh, and then what's the next thing that we look at? Uh, well, there's a couple of final areas I'd say companies should take a look at as part of this. Um, the lawful basis for their processing is really important. Um, again, as we alluded to earlier, a lot of companies have gone out and uh, sought to, to regain consent from the individuals that they work with. But consent isn't the only lawful basis for processing. It can be because you have a contract in place with that person or that company. Uh, it can also be because there's a legitimate interest um, in you processing that data. And that's a really interesting area which companies should go and read up on if they don't understand it already. Uh, and then you've think, got things like vital interests. Uh, you know, if you're um, laying on a street, you know, in serious need of medical assistance, unable to speak, you know, could be unconscious. Um, you don't need a paramedic to turn up and get you to sign a form and tick a box before they can help you. So if you're doing something that protects the vital interests of individuals, that's again, another lawful basis for processing. So it's good for people to go read up on those and understand what apply to their organisation. Um, and finally, just a, a key thing that I've it always winds me up when I see these done terribly because really it should be so easy for a company to do is to create those privacy notices to show that transparency to the the individuals that they're working with. It, it's just an absolute cop out to, to do that badly because every company should know how they use data and they should be able to explain that openly to individuals. To me, it's an immediate red flag these days if you've got a company who's trying to take a load of data but doesn't let you know um, clearly what they'll be doing with it. From the sounds of this, GDPR is a lot of compliance, a lot of process, uh, and a lot of um, a lot of work for organisations. Is there any benefit to doing GDPR? Yeah, I, th I think there should be. Um, companies for a long time now have been trying to get more value from the data, so it's it's a bit of a fallacy or a bit of a myth that companies think because they hold all this data, they'll get value from it. You've got to do a lot of work in order to to actually make that come true. And and quite often, it seems to me, past experience that that. The ability to analyze data is seriously compromised by poor storage and management of that data. So if companies get good at data management because of the need to comply with the GDPR, 
then their ability to analyze and use the data they hold should massively increase as well. So I think there's a genuine business benefit there. And so something of a silver lining. It could even be as simple as storage costs. So you re- by reducing the amount you store, you're naturally going to reduce the infrastructure costs that go with it. So that could be storing it, backing it up, protecting that data. So you're reducing the cost, but you're also reducing the risk by minimizing the data that you keep. I suppose the other flip side as well is that the board awareness that this has raised around data protection and the onus on data security, it's just raised the the status and the importance of keeping that data secure. So for the IT departments, they've always understood the importance of data security. This is just elevating it for them and getting maybe projects and things improved that they've been wanting to do for a very long time. So what do we expect to see in the future? Look through your crystal balls. What do we see? Well, I'm hoping to see some uh, some case law, some precedent come through as much as we don't want to see people being stung by this regulation. Hopefully it will provide a lot of clarity for people in the types of stuff which uh, we can expect to see in the future. Do you think there are going to be organisations that will get fined fairly soon? Do you think it's going to happen or do you think there's going to be a bit of a waiting period, a bit of a grace period? seems to be a, a guarantee from many years of, of looking after the security side of things that data breaches will happen uh, and that they will be headline grabbing. So it feels like it can only be a matter of time until we see that next headline grabbing data breach. Um, Talk Talk got fined the maximum fine of 400,000 for their previous one. Obviously, that, that's all changed now. Mark, do you think the enforcement agencies in the individual countries are going to be able to cope with the volume of complaints this could trigger? It's going to be really interesting because certainly all the law firms are advising everyone to over-report. There's this um, statement in the regulation that if it doesn't, if it's not going to impact the rights and freedoms of individuals, you don't need to report the breach. But no one understands where that line is right now. So what everyone's being told to do is report it, you know, make sure uh, it's much better to report it and have the supervisory authority tick off and say it's okay. But yeah, they've lost uh, understanding is that the supervisory authorities have lost a lot of good talent to the private sector. Um, and I do think they're going to struggle in these early months to uh, to handle this new workload. It's c- Customers presumably can raise a complaint to the ICO as well as companies reporting a breach. So there's two, two streams to that volume. Is that right? Yeah, I, th- I think anyone, uh, and absolutely... Uh, yeah, anyone can raise a, a report to the ICO um, and they are looking to, uh, if they've not done it already, to, to somewhat automate this by providing a website form-based uh, submission for these, um, these breaches and other notices. So, to summarise, would anyone like to summarise? So ultimately, it's the responsibility of every organisation to understand the regulation and how that applies to their company. Everything we've said today hopefully will be useful guidance for people, um, but please don't take it as gospel. It is our opinion. So from my point of view, um, thinking about it in the round as both CFO of SoftCat, but also a consumer, I think it's a good thing. Now, it's quite easy for me to say that because of everything we've said about how SoftCat and its business operations aren't at the more extreme end of the the spectrum when it comes to compliance and the and the onerous nature of that and particularly the impact that that could have on strategy and how we go to market so as a consumer i think it's great as a parent actually as well i think it's great we didn't talk an awful lot about kind of the um what's in the gdpr relating to children but there's quite a lot of protection there specifically aimed at children um so on balance i'm very positive about it however how it gets enforced in practice um we could still i think collectively drop the ball there and if that becomes 
um, the point at which it's proven to be not pragmatic and not actually in the consumer's best interests and also recognizing the the cost of compliance to companies then it then it could still become a really poor piece of legislation but as as we stand today i'd be very positive about it yeah i have to agree um so it's just definitely been done with the individual in mind this was not about making life easier for organizations it was about improving the rights of privacy for individuals that have been eroded significantly um by the the growth of technology in our lives uh, so from that side, it's a really good thing. Uh, another angle is it's created a small, you know, industry in itself over the last couple of years with GDPR compliance, and it's um, it's driven company security programs forward as well, which are all good things. So, Katie, Mark, Graham, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting uh, talking to your listeners. If there's anything in the show that has piqued your interest, or if you'd like to talk to someone at Softcat about anything that we've talked about in this episode, please check out the show notes. We'll include some links about some of the stuff that we've talked about today, as well as some contact details. Also, make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll deliver the next episode to you as soon as it lands. So, you've been listening to Explain It from Softcat. Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>